All right. If you have your Bibles, let's open them up to Luke chapter 9. Uh, Luke chapter 9. We are uh, starting a, I think, uh, seven to nine weeks of uh, this incredible chapter. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end uh, with a person looking at Jesus and simply saying these words, I will follow you wherever you go. Uh, and then Jesus, toward the end of the chapter, and you can go there, I don't really mind. I'm not telling you what you can and cannot read in your own Bible, right? But, but at the end of this chapter, this person is going to say, Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then they'll add this statement of, but first let me, and then Jesus will say some things that seem strange to a person who's like, hey, you're, you already got the cell, man. Why are you asking for more, right? Uh, and so, so what we get to explore all throughout this chapter is really this, this, if our desire, which it should be, if you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, uh, what you have agreed to is saying, hey, you are the Lord of all of my life. And you are the Savior of all of my life. And, and the exchange, it should not be confused, it's, it's, it's all of Him for all of you. All right? That's the way it works, and here's the thing, uh, God gets the raw end of that deal, right? Uh, none of us are like, hey, I'm on par with Jesus. Uh, but, but the beauty of the gospel says, all of me for all of him. And so when we get to places in the Bible that say, hey, Jesus, I will go with you wherever you go, wherever you go, what we want to be able to do is back that up with our lives, uh, both in our words and in our, our deeds. And so, so what this, it's a pretty long chapter uh, but but what it does is it, it kind of it's going to take us to three places if this is where we truly want to end up, right? Uh, what we're going to do is, is we're going to ask three different questions. The first question we're going to handle with we're going to handle today, uh, and it's going to take us to some different places. But the, where we go today is going to simply be to ask this question: Who is Jesus? Right now, we're not trying to answer that like necessarily as a group, uh, but we are going to try to look through. Three different scenes where they're just trying to answer that question. They'll, they'll say, who, who do you say Jesus is? Uh, and now, the, the most important decision we will ever make is, is understanding rightly who he is. Uh, and so I, I, I won't kind of, uh, I'll give you the spoiler of it. You know, we're going to find out that he is God's chosen son, uh, that he is the long-awaited Messiah, uh, and so that who we can treasure as our greatest treasure, who we can find joy in, uh, but that's going to that's gonna take a little while, all right? So, so we're going to ask that question, and then secondly, as we walk through this series, uh, we're going to ask the question, okay, if we are following Jesus, what are some things we can expect to encounter uh, when it comes to uh, how we live our lives? Uh, and then at the end of that, we're going to ask a third question, and that's simply, uh, how does Jesus change our attitudes? Uh, and now some of you parents are like, oh, we need to get our kids into this one because I was just telling them they need a significant attitude adjustment, right? Uh, good thing we never need that in life. Uh, but, but we'll simply ask, okay, because of who Jesus is, how does that change our attitudes, both uh, our attitudes with ourselves, our attitudes with God, and then our attitudes with other people? Okay, and so, so that's kind of where we go. Now, what I want to do is link us back to Luke chapter 1. 
right? In the opening verses, uh, Luke is writing to a person named Theophilus, right? He's been commissioned uh, to write this letter. In fact, the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Acts are really just letters written to Theophilus. Now, I, I say that because I want you to remember why he is writing these things. Him and Theophilus have heard about Jesus. And he says, I'm writing these things so that you may have an accurate account of what you have heard. Uh, because what we hear about Jesus connects our hearts to faith in Jesus. Now, now we say this quite frequently. Actually, I say this. Um, we've been saying this quite frequently. It's our belief here at Merge that the more you look at Jesus, the more you fall in love with him. Right? And so, so Luke is just writing this letter saying, hey, I want to bring an accurate account of who Jesus is. And so that's what we're going to see specifically uh, this morning. We're going to go to three different places. Now, that's, if, if you know me, that's kind of a break from our typical way we do expositional preaching. Uh, expositional preaching just means we typically go verse by verse through books uh, or chapters of the Bible. Now, now we do that, and I, I always love at the beginning of a series like this to remind you why we do that. Uh, we, we do that firstly because uh, it assures that we don't try to hide from the verses that will step on our toes, right? So, so we know on the verses that step on our toes, when you skip church that Sunday, we just know you're chicken. That's all that it means, right? Um, and so we want to make sure that as we talk about the full counsel of the Word of God, that we go verse by verse through those books so that when it gets difficult, we're willing to say, God, that's hard. And then we wait for the Holy Spirit to say, sometimes, yes, but let's do, approach it this way, or yes, and that's it, right? Uh, and so, so we do that, and then, um, and then secondly, it keeps us really just from, from cherry-picking, right? Uh, and trying to say, okay, all these verses give me the warm fuzzies. Uh, and then really what it also does is it, it gives us this ability to, to not take one verse, create a theology that creates a little God that fits nicely in your pocket when you need to bring them out, uh, and then just deep enough in your pocket to tell them to shut up when you want to do something else, right? So, so that's, that's why, James, James yeah, you and I, we get each other, bro. Um, and so, so this is why we walk through books like this. Now, Today's a little bit of a departure. It's the only week in this series we'll depart from just top to bottom, right? Uh, because I want us to explore these three scenes so that when we come back next week, we can go back to verse 1 and see, okay, this is why these things matter. Uh, because if we don't have an accurate view of who Jesus is, then it doesn't matter what he's taught. Because he's more than just a great teacher. He's more than just a great healer. He's more than just a great opinion maker. Right? So, so if we don't accurately see him for who he is, that, that's uh, most important here. So this is where we're going to go. We're going to start in, in verse 7, uh, where we're going to look at uh, Herod. And it just simply says this. It says, Now Herod the Tetrarch uh, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said that by some that John had been raised from the dead, but by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that the one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. All right, now let me give you some context that would be really helpful if we started in verse 1. 
right? So Jesus starts going around, and he sends out his disciples, and he empowers them for the work of the ministry. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to declare that the kingdom of God is at hand. So, so as he goes, uh, there, there becomes these reports about these healings and, and these miracles and the dead come into life. And, and, and Herod hears this and it comes to his throne room and he says, well, who, who's doing this? Right now, here's what you need to know about Herod the Tetrarch. Okay? He is the son of Herod the Great. Now, a lot of you guys, when you've gone to the uh, Christmas, you know, um, pageant for, your, for churches, right? Uh, Herod the Great is the one who said, hey, well, let's kill all the firstborn because I've heard there's a rival approaching, right? And so this is his son. Now, we've, we've actually met him uh, early on in our journey through the Gospel of Luke, right? Uh, this is the Tetrarch who uh, ultimately, the, the Tetrarch, we call him a king, but he's not really a king because remember at the time, the Jews are, are occupied by Rome, and Rome has kind of said, hey, you're good. Um, we'll let you be in charge. Just don't let bad things happen that reach the office of us, right? And so, so Herod the Tetrarch, uh, we were introduced to back in Luke chapter 3 uh, because John the Baptist uh, comes in and calls him out. Uh, he says, hey, man, there's, there's a lot of things you're doing wrong. Uh, one of them is your relationship with your sister-in-law. Uh, and now that ends up with John in prison. Uh, eventually, he will be beheaded, uh, and his head will be presented to Herodias, uh, uh, Herod's sister-in-law, on a platter. It's where we get your, my head on, your head on a silver platter, right? And so, so as this is going along, word is starting to reach Herod about what Jesus is doing, and Jesus and, and specifically his, his disciples or his apostles, right? And so, so he says, who's doing this? And then all of a sudden, someone in the room says, um, some believe John the Baptist has come back to life, which he says, that's a problem, right? And this just kind of reveals his wickedness. He's like, oh, I've seen that guy's head not attached to his body. Uh, that that ain't working. That's not working. Like, like, we took care of John. We were tired of hearing him. We took care of him. Problem solved. And then another person will say, well, it's Elijah. Uh, and if you remember the story of Elijah, uh, he doesn't end in a grave. He ends in a chariot of fire. Uh, and he's taken away. And then, and then someone will say, uh, it's a prophet of old. Okay? Now, I say that. They say it's, it's John. They say it's Elijah, prophet of old. Because that's going to be a repeated theme here in our next scene, okay? But we're just going to put a pin on that, okay? Because what I want to hear, what I want you to hear is Herod is perplexed. He's perplexed. Now, I believe most of the world is perplexed when it comes to Jesus, okay? Now, now what, what Herod does is reflective of what most of the world will do. They'll say, who is this guy? And then that's as far as their pursuit goes. In fact, it says that in verse number 9, it says, Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this whom I hear? And it says, and he sought 
to see him. I was, I was amazed in the last uh, week or so as I looked at some other translations and how this gets translated out because some will say he had a desire to see him. Some will say that he wondered about where he was. Some will say that, that he wanted to see him. And so it kind of leaves us in this spot of like, okay, let's, let's think for a moment. You are the king of your own world, which is what Herod is at this point. Like there is no one of the Jewish culture that is higher than him. And at any moment, he could tell his guards, hey, I want that guy in this throne room, and I want to have a conversation with him. Now, what we're going to find out, it's going to take, it's going to take many, many chapters before that actually happens. And so, so I would wonder, and I just want to introduce this. I don't know if this is factual. I would just wonder if Herod is perplexed and curious about Jesus, but yet wants to do nothing in regards to pursuing him. To, to walking behind him and investigating what is it. Because again, he's, everything he's heard, or, this is like great news, right? He's healing, he's, raised, he's performing miracles, people are coming back to life. And the most powerful person in his world, being him, could have called anybody to stand before him at really any time. And yet he says, I'm, I'm fine just being curious. It's kind of, it's kind of the approach of, of, I would really, I want to want to do that, right? Like it sounds like I should probably know who that person is, but I, I want to want to do that, but I don't really want to do the things that I need to do. And I think this is where he is. And I think it's reflective of a lot of our hearts. Um, and sometimes if we are found in Jesus, and we hear God say some things to go do some things, and we're like, you know, I'm good today, uh, and I want to do that at some point, but just not now. Just not now. I, I don't want to be interrupted too much. Or, or we, we don't even ask the questions. We don't even talk to God about it, because we know that He is a God of movement. And, and, and I think much of the time in our lives, it's not that the adventures of God are too dangerous or call too much from us it's that we're not brave enough to actually go do what he's told what he's equipped you to go do now that's just a pondering all right so so herod says i'm perplexed uh, who who is this guy and it says that he he wanted to see him and and I, again i think that's that's most of the world right like like who is this jesus and people start to say and then they're like eh, i'm good I'm good. Turns out I, I didn't really want to know. I just wanted to know about him. So we go to our next scene. All right? Now, in between the scenes, we, we have this, and we'll be here in a couple weeks, uh, where Jesus is going to feed 5,000 people with some Pringles and a sandwich. Right? Uh, that's pretty much all it is. Uh, and all these people will be fed to their full. Right? And so, so we come in to verse 18. It says this, And now... It happened that as he was praying alone, all right, so that scene had ended, Jesus is praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, he asked them this question, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Now, here's what's amazing, is that the same report, right? What people are saying about Jesus to Herod is the same thing that the disciples are saying that the people are saying. And, and, and it's remarkable because they're all similar, right? 
they're religious people. They perform supernatural things. So they say it's either it's either John's come back, Elijah's come back, or some other prophet of old. And he says this. Then he said to them, all right? But who do you say that I am? Okay, now let me ask this question. Who's Jesus speaking to? His disciples, right? Somebody's like, disciples, right? So he says, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, we've heard it's either John, Elijah, or some other prophet of old. And then he asked this question, but who do you say that I am? And you want to know what's remarkable? Only one dude's going to speak up. Only one. It says this, it says, And Peter answered, You are Christ the God, the Christ of God. And then Jesus strictly charged and, and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and, and chief priests and scribes and be killed and, and on the third day be raised. Now here's the thing. At this point, Jesus is going to tell this. I think this is the first time we've seen him foretell his, his death in the Gospel of Luke. But he's going to tell it multiple times. Every single time, though, it's, it's just right over their head. Every single time. Now, once they see it happen, they're like, oh yeah, I remember him saying something about this. So Jesus looks and he says, you are Christ the God. Now, the Gospel of Matthew brings us a little bit fuller treatment about this scene because God will, uh, Jesus will look at him and say, Peter, you are so right, man. But you're not that smart, so God told you to tell that, say that. And they'll talk about building the church on the rock of the fact that Jesus is the chosen one. He is the Messiah. And he says that the gates of hell won't prevail against that. So Peter comes in and he says, you are Christ the God. Now, Luke just says that's all, he, that's all that's said. And then the next thing you see, right, is that, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, which seems really strange, right? Really strange, right up until the point where we realize that Peter understood Jesus at this moment to be the Christ. He is the chosen one. But Peter, just like much of the Jewish people, didn't understand fully why Jesus has come. Because they will, they will continually mistake Jesus as the chosen one, as our king has come, and they thought their greatest enemy was the Romans. And Jesus will consistently come to the table and be like, it's too small of a boss. It's too small of a boss. Your greatest enemy isn't the Romans. And they say, but they're the ones that are meanest to us right now. Right? You could go back in the Old Testament and see in the history of the Israelites, they always have someone, right? Like that's how stories are written. There's always some big bad guy. And once you get to the first big bad guy and you defeat him, guess what? There's another big bad guy. And he always seems to be bigger than the last one. And the story of our lives is simply that God is faithful to his people. Every single time. And so we come into this moment, and Peter, I believe, is just like a lot of the other Jewish people, and they say, hey, we think you're incredible. And we think you are the one 
who's going to liberate us from Roman occupation. We believe you are the king we have been waiting for. And Jesus will say, they're not your biggest problem. Sin is. So he strictly charges because he doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. I don't think he wants that message going out. That, hey, our king has come. He's going to defeat the Romans. What he wants to be known is who he is and why he has come. He has come to usher in the kingdom of God. And they say, yes, that looks like no more Romans. And he says, no, it looks like God and you walking together in unity. So he strictly charges them, commanded them, don't, and, okay, you're halfway right, Peter, but don't let that be the full message. Because the full message is yet to be fulfilled. So he comes in and he, he kind of knows what's going on, but, but the question is, okay, Herod remains perplexed. Peter seems to understand something that at least Herod didn't get. Herod, I mean, Peter seems to be willing to say something that the disciples who are also with him are unwilling or are not brave enough to say. So the question is, why would, how would Peter have such a different perspective than even Herod? Now I think it's safe to say it's because of the time he has spent with Jesus. He's been walking with them. And he's continuing. Again, the Gospels are always just, it's this, this progression of, of who is this guy to he's someone significant to he's a great rabbi to he's Lord and Savior. That's the progression. And so Peter, because of the time he's spending with Jesus, sees more than the rest of the world would. And I think that's a good lesson for us. Right? Now, Peter, and this isn't his fault, this is just the timing of how he is growing up. Peter has an incomplete gospel, and that's only because the gospel has not been fulfilled just yet. Right? So that's going to take us to this, this third scene, and I promise I'm going to try to speed up, even though this is the most verses, and probably the coolest of all of uh, the verses I have today. Right? Verse 28. So there, Jesus has said some, some really difficult things going into verse 28, and one of them is basically, hey, take up your cross, follow me. Right, we'll get there. We'll give it a good full treatment. Right? But verse 28 says, Now about eight days after saying these things, he took with him Peter, John, and James. John and James are, are brothers, sons of Zebedee. Right? And they went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses in Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy asleep, but when they became fully awake, I love that, like when they became fully awake, because what is about to be said doesn't need to be misconstrued for, for they were kind of in that space where you're kind of awake, kind of not, right? Those are like my best thoughts that I never wake up from to write down. So he's like, he's like, I don't want you to mistake. This isn't a dream. This is something that literally happened. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory. 
Talking about Jesus's. And two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. That's a great phrase for Peter. I think that's a great phrase in my life, like not, not knowing what he said. Because pay attention to what happens, right? Have you, has your kid ever walked into the room and said something that sounded so ridiculous you just chose not to respond to it? Right? You're like, that is, that is just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So if I don't respond to it, I don't acknowledge I heard it. And maybe, maybe I didn't. Maybe I wasn't fully awake. So Peter's like, Jesus, and now rightfully so. If you have ever had an experience with God where worship was just so thick and the Holy Spirit was moving in such a way that you say, I just want to live here forever. That's where Peter is. It's like, hey, forget the rest of the world. We, we can live right here. I'm fine with that. And you notice, he doesn't even give a, he doesn't even want to build a tent for him and James and John. He's like, let's get you guys tents and we'll just stay, we'll just live here. Right? Now, now Jesus isn't going to respond to it. Uh, God will, uh, but he's not even going to address Peter as much as he's going to make a statement about who Jesus is. And I think, I think the reason being is that Peter's not designed to live on top of that mountain. He isn't. Peter, Peter's not designed to live in the church service, in the worship gathering. He's not. In fact, you are not designed to show up and this be the epicenter of your pursuit with God this week. You are to take the gospel into the places that are darkest and messiest and hardest to walk into. And you are to love people with the love of Christ. So any of these moments when, where we gather and we sing with everything... And we say, God, I just want to live here. I just want to be here. And he's like, I am here, but I'm also there. And I fill you up to pour you out. So Peter says, hey, let's just live here. Um, this is a great piece of land. I like where it's going. And, and then it says, I think we have wild coyotes back there. <laughs> so if your kids have scratches... We're, do, we're doing coyote wrestling. Uh, I think that's the closest we had to uh, Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, that's what we're teaching them. So. <laughs> like, seriously, that sounds like coyotes. Take a stick, just in case. Um, verse 34. Here we go. I'm just going to give that just a second. As Chris goes, Chris is like, be quiet, you know. All right, here we go. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. Right? This is beautiful. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. This is what I love about it. They're entering the cloud while they are afraid. Because it's so beautiful that to not step into this would, would be just, it would be the end of them. And so in their fear, they take the steps. And as they entered the cloud, a voice, and a voice, verse 35, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. And a voice, and when the voice had spoken, Jesus 
was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. And, and I love uh, this scene because, because you, have, you have Jesus, and all of a sudden uh, Moses and Elijah have shown up. Now, interesting enough, remember what, what's been the question? Who is this Jesus? And the crowd says either it's John who's come back, it's Elijah, or it's a prophet of old. And now we find here on this in the Transfiguration, you see Jesus with three guys, one of them being Elijah, one of them being a prophet of old. Now some would say, well, why? Why those two guys? Why those two guys? Well, Moses, if you remember way back when, right, as uh, depending on how old you are, either Charlton Heston or voiced by Val Kilmer, right? So Moses comes along and God says, hey, we're going to, we're going to liberate uh, the Israelites from, from Egyptian slavery. We're going to let my people go. Right? And then we're going to go from slavery to the promised land. And again, the most important thing between the promise, uh, before, uh, the promise and the promised land comes the presence of God, which is the most important thing about the whole exodus. And so he comes in and God gives Moses the law to give to the people. Now the law reveals the standard of holiness to which we have we can have right relationship with God. And so here you have Moses who represents the law, and then you have Elijah, right, who represents the prophets. Okay? Now, now that's really important for us to understand because Jesus will come in and he will say something very specific in in the Gospel of Matthew about why he has come. And he says, I don't want you confused. I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill what has been said. Okay? Very important that we would understand this. That the gospel doesn't change the promises of God. God, all throughout the Old Testament, which is really, the te- I've learned this just recently, and I think it's beautiful, because I think it helps us understand the, the makeup of the entire Word of God. Right? So, so when we say Old Testament and New Testament, for some reason, as you translate that word, uh, we go from Greek to Hebrew and blah, 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 boring, 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 right? But, but that word testament really translates into covenant. Okay? So, so when we open up the word of God, you have the old covenant and you have the new covenant. And that's what's being revealed. Now, the new covenant fulfills the old covenant. Don't make a mistake. God makes covenants all throughout the Old Testament. All throughout it. He makes a covenant with Adam. He makes a covenant with Moses. He makes a covenant with Abraham, then Moses, right? He makes a covenant with David. He makes a covenant with the people of Israel through Jeremiah. And all of them are fulfilling, are walking towards the covenant that God makes with us through Jesus, the new covenant. So Jesus said, don't, be, don't mistake this. I haven't come to do away. I'm not wiping away all the Old Testament. I'm fulfilling everything that was said about how we are restored with the Father. So God comes in and he says, this is my son, my chosen one. Okay, huge endorsement. Right? Not to be confused. But then we have an instruction. We have a charge. It says, listen to 
him. Listen to him. Did, did Swan come back out? He come, he's still... Oh, all right, come on, Swan. I'm sorry. I thought they got you, buddy. Um, we can start wrapping this up. So he says, he says, listen to him. Now, that being said, what do we listen for? What, what are we listening for Jesus to say? Now, if you, if you open up the Gospels, he says a lot of things. He says a lot of things, but if there is one thing I think we could, we could pick out for this morning in the context of where we've been, right? So Herod is perplexed because he doesn't know who Jesus is. Peter uh, says, you are the Christ, and then Jesus rebukes him and says, hey, not so fast, because you don't see it fully yet. Then you got the father who says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. I think there's a place in John chapter 14 we could go. And you don't have to turn, I'll just read it to you. 14, verse 6. If you've spent much time in the church, I think you've probably heard this before. Jesus says this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Says no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. So if that being true, with that being true, not if that being true, because that's on a sentence, with that being true, answering this question, who is Jesus, is of the utmost importance in our lives. Right? Because sin destroys and devastates. And though it may tempt and it may woo you and it may make promises that it would never fulfill, sin destroys not just our relationships with one another, but most importantly, it's a disservice in the presence of God. And God says, in my holiness, I refuse to be around sinfulness. And you say, well, that's not very nice and that's not very fair. That's not for us to decide. So he comes in, and out of his love, he says, I'm sending my son. Not to just perform miracles, not to just teach, not to just raise people from the dead. Although all those things are great, but all those things are to present credentials for who he is and what he is capable of doing. And what he is capable of doing the most is to be the way, the truth, and the life. What he is capable of doing the most for you and for me is to restore a relationship that was devastated by sin. And you say, well, my sin's not as bad as some other people's sins. That's another subject, another day, big game tonight. We all got to get our naps in. Right? So who is this Christ? He is the Son of God. Out of God's love for you, He sends Jesus to restore by laying His life down, to die for what you deserve to die for, and to live so that you can have life again. It's the most important. We never graduate from it. It's the most important question we will ever ask ourselves. 
So if you are in Christ today, as we sang earlier, with everything, the question is, is that true? With everything that I am, do I shout forth your praise? With everything that I am, do I sing of your glory? And if not, I just wonder, do we see him accurately? And if you aren't in Jesus today, I promise you this, you will never find peace elsewhere. You will never find a joy that matches. And I would plead with you today, come find me, come find one of the guys that are over there. Let let them tell you their story of what Jesus has done. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us and your care for us and And I pray today that if we don't see your Son clearly, that that you would begin a work in us to where that could be true. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.
guys have a blessed week here this morning.